Thank you, worship team. Good morning, High Point, and happy Mother's Day. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 8. We'll be reading verses 4 through 21. This is found on page 1574 on your pew Bible. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They do not mature. But the seed on good soil stand for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. This is the word of the Lord written for his people. Thank you, Femi. Good morning. We were at Costco yesterday afternoon and there were some kids in there in their UW robes having just graduated. They weren't about to take them off after all the work they spent putting them on. It was kind of fun. You know, this is Mother's Day and, and uh, for many it's a great day. For others of you, it's a hard day. And I want to encourage you even though it's a difficult day, you are very much loved. And, and there are times when life just didn't go as we planned. I know for Estelle and I, we had great kids, loved the Lord. In their mid-20s, they took a left. And the world got uh, a hold of them, and, and we pray that they come back. And so it's not always a happy day, Mother's Day and Father's Day in our house. But it is a day of prayer because we know God is greater. 
And so I just want to encourage you, if you're struggling because of Mom's Day, know that God loves you, and He cares for you, and He fully understands. I was just finishing up a, a wedding on a ship out in front of Seattle in the harbor, and I was wondering what to do with my next three and a half hours. I had tried walking on water and it didn't work, and so I was stuck. About 400 people, two bands on two decks, starting to fire up, couldn't really hear yourself think. This young guy walks up to me and he goes, I see you wear genera clothing. Okay, we're in Seattle. Um, yeah. So? Well, I'm the HR director for Generic Clothing Company and was at your church Wednesday night and uh, saw you had on one of our outfits, so I'm like, okay. So why were you at church? Um, I, I don't like my life right now. What don't you like about it? He says, well, I'm, I'm 27. I've, I was dismissed from a major brand, national brand, um, from my drinking. I've been in rehab three times, starting when I was 17. And I, now, I'm a good person. Don't get the wrong idea. I, but... I don't like my life, and so I thought I should go to church. He said, I grew up in church, but at the time I didn't think it was relevant, you know, it was for parents and old people, and so I just didn't listen. I chose not to. I couldn't wait to get out of there. And then life just kind of snowballed, and alcohol became my friend, and I thought, now it's Coke too, and, but I'm a good person. I've got a good job. I, I obviously dress well. He dressed well. He just also really knew it. And, and he said, I, you know, I, I have a new vet every September. Um, I do good. I, I work in my, public, my political campaign for people. I volunteer at a nursing home on Saturdays. And I'm, I'm a good person, but it's not working. He said, there was a time I went to church and Something seemed to help, and I got kind of excited about going to church, but the crisis or whatever must have subsided, and so I, I stopped going. And, and now, this girl I, I want to marry, but why would she want to marry me? And I'm not doing life well, so I came to church. He said, maybe it wasn't what you said that was so different from what I'd heard before. Maybe I listened this time. He said, what'd you hear? He said, well, right up front, you, you said that regardless of who I was or how I was doing, that God loved me. And, and there was a better yes to anything else that the world could present to me but it would require some steps, some change, but that God would do that. And he said, honestly, from then on, I don't remember much of what you said. I, I said, okay, why? He said, because something happened in my heart. It felt like I was being torn in two. 
I wanted to run out of the building, I wanted to run forward, I wanted to jump up and yell, I wanted to climb under the seat because it felt like there was a war going on and, and eventually I said yes. I said, said yes to what? To God. Can you tell me what I did? It really felt good, but I don't understand it. He said, I just felt amazing. He said, what did you do? He said, I went out and got drunk. It felt so good. That's how he knew to celebrate. So over the next couple years, Buzz and I got really close, and we learned a lot about what it means to listen to God's word and, and to apply it and to allow that transforming work to happen. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 4, the story is recorded where Jesus tells the parable. And he says, you know, there's people out there that take God's word lightly or they don't take it at all. And it's like hard ground. It's a hard heart and nothing gets in. And they hear it, but it gets deflected and, and it doesn't make a difference in their lives. So then there's the people who it's like the, you know, it gets a spark and something happens and they get excited about it. But there's no root to it. And so they, they walk on. They forget about it. The crisis is over, so life as usual. Then there's those who, it really feels like something, and they're like, wow, I'm, I'm doing Christian things, but they don't understand what really is there, and, and the things and the cares of, war, of the world get in front of what God wants to do in their lives and what the Word's about, and whether it's academics or work or family, something crowds it out, and pretty soon life is as it was. And it's really dissatisfying to that person when that happens, and they make statements like, well, Christianity wasn't for me, I guess. Like, if it works for you, that's great, but it wasn't for me. And then there's the crowd that Jesus says listens. And Buzz said, maybe it wasn't what you said was different. Maybe I just listened different. And that's a familiar story to us. And that's the problem often is when the familiar stories are presented, we're like, oh, we've been there, done that. Let's get to something deeper. But what Jesus is talking about here is deeper. Because as good as the gospel is, as wonderful as Jesus is, as magnificent as God is, there still is a requirement on our side to listen, to take it in, to allow something to happen. You'll notice the story, the parable is set in an agricultural setting. Now we live in Madison, it's a city, albeit a small one. We don't have to go too far out to run into a cornfield. And it's kind of nice because it's not just suburbia forever. It's not Chicagoland. And we get to see a process that Jesus is talking about here that helps us understand. And soon the tractors will be out and the fields will be plowed and they'll be prepared and they'll be seeded. And then 
we don't see the activity in the field anymore because there is something happening that's unseen as that seed that was planted begins to germinate. And it begins to grow and pretty soon the fields will be green and pretty soon it'll be harvest time and the corns of stock and the various crops will be mature. And when they're mature, there's a harvest. And that doesn't happen the next day. And I think that's part of Jesus' point, is that there's this time period of listening to God's word that allows a maturation. It allows us to become who God wants us to be, who he intended us to be. But you, like me, are in a hurry. We want things to get done. We don't want to sit around. The staff knows there's one word that I don't like rest they're always on me you need to not do this you need to not work so much you need to take time and I have a different lifestyle than they have I don't have kids at home and that's still I have a good marriage and we have our schedule worked out and yeah I do work a lot of hours but I love it it's life-giving and and what we get to do with people is we've learned to really embrace that and and it's been a struggle over my life to learn to rest and to sit down and, and wait and and I used to travel 200 days a year, and I absolutely loved it. I didn't realize what a toll it was taking on me, but, but I loved it at the time. And Nick and I knew each other, and he'd been out to our place in Colorado, and we'd been here, and we talked. But I didn't really know Nick well. And we got here, and I kept waiting for the memo. We're going to do this. What do you think about doing this? How are we going to reach Madison? How are we going to do? How are we going to do? Because that's my language. Instead, he preaches a sermon, or a sermon series called Ordinary. Really? And he follows it up with substance. Let's do something. And for the first 18 months, I'm waiting for the memo and he's waiting for me to chill and really dig in and we're just passing each other, liking each other, but really not getting each other. And I began to watch and see that he was very deliberate. And we've had this conversation many times. He's prone to analyze and I'm prone to action. And, and somewhere in the middle, there's a good mix. But really let's do something i've been praying for twenty thousand people in madison to come to know christ in the next 10 years let's go out and get them and he wants to talk about our culture and at first i'm like <sighs> and then i realized that our culture had a lot to do with the time the seeds in the ground to the time it's ready for harvest. It had to do with us truly becoming substantial people in Jesus Christ. And that involves a lot of listening. It involves slowing down. It involves allowing things to progress in a way that's normal, in a way that is ordinary. And 
And as I worked with Buzz over the two years, he lost a lot of the flash. Even went two years without a new vet. And he began to realize that this was something that was daily. This was something that was routine. This was something that was becoming. As I prep for the sermon today, three weeks ago I had to ask myself a question that I didn't really like the answer to. The question was, okay, Mike, what kind of soil are you? Are you a soil that is okay with being messed with and plowed and prepared to receive? A soil that can take God's word and allow it to sit and to germinate and to grow into something? Or are you caught up in the doing? I was having breakfast with Mark and Kent this morning and Mark was talking about and said, you know, you realize that in the transfiguration, God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to what he says. Then the next story is about Mary and Martha and the one that's blessed is the one who's sitting and listening. I hate stories like that. I like the stories where, you know, somebody's out doing something. Getting it done. I love Acts 2. You know, all right, let's take this city. But before that can happen, there's something within us that has to happen. What kind of soil are you? How do you listen to God's word? Right now, where's your mind? Jesus in John 14 said that the Holy Spirit, amongst the other things that he would do, would guide us into truth. He would help us to understand what Jesus was talking about. We often think that the Holy Spirit was about the gifts and the signs and, and all these things. No, in John 14 he says, these are the things he's going to do. Convict the world of sin. Point to me as, as Lord guide you into truth and, and some things that take time, some things that are ordinary, some things that are substantial. And so today, do you anticipate sitting in God's word? One of the sessions tomorrow night on Engage and Equip is is having a quiet time and, and studying the Bible. And it's going to be led by Mark and Kent. And the reason I asked them to lead it is because I know what their quiet time lives are like. And he, I don't know what they do, but I know they're steady and they have produced two God-fearing men. I heard a great quote a while ago. It said, reading the Bible tomorrow probably won't help you. But reading the Bible every day of your life will change you. And that's the way it is in following Jesus. And that's foreign somewhat to our culture because we're a hurry up now culture. And God's not in a hurry. And I have found that neither is Nick. And that's good. It's really good. Because at some point in time, we as a congregation are going to stand up tall with fruit and God is going to allow us a harvest.
and we are going to be ready for it. And in the meantime, we pray, and we build relationships, and we do things that are necessary towards that day. But it's so critical that, that we learn to wait. Ephesians 4, 17 and 19, Paul says, you know, the Gentiles, which is a non-Jew in his world, he said, their hearts are darkened. They don't naturally move towards the things of God. In fact, they separate themselves from the things of God. And that's our natural state. And so there's a work to be done in us. There's a choice to be made in us of how we approach God's word and how it, we allow it to grow. I was having a conversation this last week with a young guy, and I, I said, how'd you get her to love you? And he said, I, we talked a lot. She really liked it when I listened to her. Guys, that's just really good marriage advice. <laughs> and he said, and pretty soon, I enjoyed listening to her. And out of that listening to each other on the long walks and, and whatever, life was shared. And we realized that we really enjoyed that with each other. And it's one of the reasons that I love her, and it's one of the reasons she states she loves me. And how true that is in our relationship with God. And so he sets this whole thing out, and he says, you need to take time to grow, and he compares it to listening. Now, he moves from that right into the next section, and he says, if you have a lamp, you don't put it in a box, you don't cover it, you don't hide it, you put it on a stand. Why? So it illuminates. Mark Keller, who was the pastor of Redeemer in uh, New York City, talks in the same way out of Matthew 4, a city set on a hill. And he says, you know, in his context, New York City, in our context, Madison, he says, what happens in a city? Well, what does happen in a city? You have work, you have commerce, you have community, you have education, you have medical, you have politics, you have manufacturing, you have community, you have caring for the poor, you have play, you have all kinds of things. And he said, the city on the hill that Jesus is talking about isn't a group of people sitting over here in a sanctuary somewhere. The city on the hill happens on Monday when we as Christians move into our jobs and into our workplace and into our education and, and all of a sudden there's an illumination inside this city that's a city set apart. And people look at it and they see it. And the kingdom of God is present in the, in the kingdom of darkness. And he says, that's you. You know, the implication is this, is, is as you hear God's word and as you grow, there's an expectation that it is seen. There's an expectation that my life, my personal, my one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus is transforming in such a way that you can take notice. Especially at work. Especially in the neighborhood. Especially at play. Especially when there's conflict and when I didn't get the promotion and I stayed steady, especially at the moments when the world doesn't do so well and I'm there as evidence of Christ in me, solid, firm, steady. 
because they don't give me my cues, God does. And he said, at those moments, you should shine. That city on a hill should stand out. And those in your workplace should say, wow, he's different. He is such a good worker. Not such a good witness, but such a good worker. And out of being such a good worker, you will probably get asked, why are you such a good worker? And you can say, because of Christ in me. Colossians 3.23 says, I can do all things to Christ. And so I do. And Jesus said it is so important that you not only hear the word, but that you allow it to be done in your life. Seeing and doing. And so we have to take the time for the word to be cultivated in our lives. We have to study to show ourselves approved, as Paul told young Timothy. Make sure that when you're asked a question, you can answer it as God would have you answer it. One of the sessions tomorrow night will be having a spiritual, a Christ-centered or a biblical conversation with people. How do you develop the craft of talking from God's word in everyday lifestyles? And, and it's critical that we not only take time to be cultivated, but then we take time to showcase. You know, we, we have the, the great um, commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And we set that out here like some goal. And quickly behind that, we have the Great Commission that we go into all the world and we create disciples and teach them what we know about who Jesus is and what the kingdom of God is like. And we set that one next as goal number two. I don't think they're meant to be goals at all. I think they're meant to be secondary outcomes of our relationship with Jesus Christ. When I have Christ in me, I love him. And when I love him and know that he loves me, I love you because I'm not dependent on what I can get from you. I'm dependent, I'm free from you. I can just love you freely. And when I have Christ and I see what he's done in my life, the natural outcome is to share what he's done in my life. And so I'm loving, I'm worshiping, I'm taking care of my neighbor, and I'm sharing the good news because I've taken time to grow in him. I've taken time to cultivate that word in me. To allow it to have fruit. To allow it to bear something. In um, 2 Timothy 3.16-17. says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. For teaching. For reproof. For re correction. And for training in righteousness. So that the man of God or woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. How do we get there? Through God's word. By taking time to let it do something, to cultivate it, to grow it. I've heard Estel do a teaching several times on the importance of memorizing scripture, being able to pray out of scripture and to speak out of scripture. And I've heard her say, you know, if, if you don't put anything in the bank, you don't have anything to withdraw. And when I put God's word in my heart and in my mind and in my soul, there's a natural outflow that I can use. There's another verse in... Um, I 
I know I wrote it down here. Psalm 119 says, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I don't sin against you. Are you struggling with sin? Get in God's word. It's very difficult to go in and have dark come out. Allow God's word to wash you, to cleanse you, to purify you so that the crop is pure. Let those ugly things get weeded out so that what comes out of that harvest is good. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes, your ways. We worship. We bless the Lord. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. We learn his will and ways and the ways of your testimonies. I delight in as much as riches. You struggle with worldliness and, and other things being Lord in your lives. Learn to love the word of God. Learn to let it permeate everything you have. And pretty soon its goodness, its weight crowds out the other things. And the other things aren't bad. But when they become Lord, when they become central to who you are, there's a problem because God will not share your heart with anybody. He wants all of it because he wants what is good for you. When Jesus is Lord of our lives, it's the best place that we could possibly be. As our creator, he knows what we need. He knows how to nourish us, how to build us up, how to encourage us, how to bring correction. That comes primarily through the Word of God, listening to it. If the only time you hear the Word of God is on Sunday mornings, you're starving yourself to death. I work with a lot of pastors, and pastors are notorious for not being in the Bible. And that sounds absolutely stupid, but it's true, and it's true in this way. You're writing a sermon or you're writing a lesson or you're doing something and so your Bible's open and you're looking at it and you got your, your software on your screen and you think you're in the Word all the time, but you're preparing something for somebody else. It's like a chef standing in a kitchen fixing food for everybody else but not stopping for lunch. So you got a chef starving in the middle of a kitchen. And there's a lot of pastors that are starving in the middle of the pulpit because they're giving out instead of taking and many of you are in the same place because you're busy and you have wonderful intentions around God's Word but even this last week how long a time did you listen daily to the words of Jesus to the words of God throughout the Bible because it says all scripture is profitable all scripture is from God and if we want to be the substantial church that we think we are, God's word has to be central in every one of our lives because collectively we are only as strong as we are individually. So be in the word because when you're in the word, you're in a better place. When you're in the word, your workplace is in a better place. When you're in the word, Madison comes to Jesus. Your marriages will be stronger. Your parenting will be better. Because anytime we're in the Word, we also learn to live graciously. We learn to live wisely. And so Jesus 
isn't giving a simple parable or a little teaching about being a light, and he's not taking it lightly. He's saying, this is critical. And here's how I know he means this is critical. In the next section, his mom and brothers show up and they can't get in because of the crowd. Now you would suspect that his security would just part the crowd and bring them up front and give them good seats. Instead, he says, when he's told that they're there, he said, my brothers and sisters are those who are in the word, who are, who are here, the word, and do it. And he puts such an emphasis on it that he, in fact, denies flesh and blood. Now, he didn't deny his mother or his brother and sister. They were there at the cross. He calls them mom, says, John, take care of mom. But in contrast, to give weight to what he was saying, he says it's as if as they don't exist because they're just flesh and blood. What does exist as family are those who listen and do what I say. So it's not just a good teaching to get into the Word of God. It's critical. Much of forgiven and free is centered around the Word of God. Why? Because that's the only thing we have, that in the Holy Spirit, that will transform our lives. Being a Christian isn't about being changed. It's about being made new. It's about allowing his word to actually change us from within to out. Make us new. So that we can be far more than we ever thought or imagined. Because we serve a God who can do far more than we, ever, we could ever think or imagine. We live in a time where outside of our walls here, The gospel has lost its bearing. And I'd like to suggest that it's lost its bearing because those in the church at large have lost their bearing. And too many sermons are about politics, about lifestyle. One of the things I, I love about Nick is it's about God's word. It has to be about God's word because that's what we have. We're not called into politics. We're not called into medicine. We're not called into things, although God deals in those things. He sets rulers. He heals. He does the things in life that are out there and that are important. But for us, they're centered in God's word, and he expects us to be responsible with that word. I've got a conversation, and we're meeting again this next week with a pastor downtown in the square. And she said, Mike, I don't have a problem following with Jesus because Jesus was a good man, but I have a hard time following Christ. I said, let me understand that. You can follow Jesus because he took care of the poor, and he said, be good and take care of children and the elderly and 
everybody's loved? She said, yes. I said, but Christ demands an answer to sin. She said, yes. I don't want to go there, but I need to. And she's a pastor of a church. And there are times on our own team when we have some pretty strong conversations about who we are and how we're following Jesus. And we go to the Word for definition. We go to the Word for encouragement. We go to the Word for correction. But when you don't believe the Word is God's Word, you don't have that luxury. So you struggle to do good without having a standard, without having the person of God. At High Point, we believe God's Word is true. We believe it is His Word. John says that there was the Word and there was Christ and the Word became flesh and, and that we got to see Jesus walk this out on earth so that we could begin to understand what it meant to be full of the Word, so we could understand God's intent, His will and ways. And I want to encourage you, I want to admonish you, examine how you handle God's Word. Examine how you are listening to God through His Word. Because it is your only hope. It is our only hope collectively as a church to be the outpost of God's kingdom here on earth is by truly being full of Jesus in line with his word towards what he wants to accomplish and we only learn that from his word. Some of you today are here because you enjoy the feeling of doing good things. You go to church, you feel good about it. But when you leave through those doors, or even before you get through those doors, or some of you are already checked out, I want you to ask, how important is God's word to you? Are you taking the time, the energy, to allow God's word in? Are you such a soil that receives that so there can be growth? Are you such a person that when it grows, you allow it to show that it's okay? It may be hard. You may lose a job. Somebody finds out you're Christian. On the other side of the world in Indonesia, this, yesterday there were three churches blown up. ISIS took credit. And there's true persecution. You may get some, but it's okay because God is in it. God will secure what he's doing. God will give you the courage and the words and the strength. Only if you're in his word, though. One of the things I found when I was traveling globally is I would find these pockets of people that were just standing up against so much difficulty. And they were getting together every morning of the week sometimes to study God's Word. I didn't dare ask why they did that because I knew why they did that. If they didn't, they would fall. They didn't have the luxury of going and doing something on a Sunday morning and catching up on the internet, whatever the sermon was. 
They had to hide away before light and do that so they could live, so they could survive, because it was evil. When we lived in Asheville, North Carolina, at the Billy Graham Training Center there, there were people that, Christians, who would say, how come you don't go downtown? They said, oh, it's evil. And it was. But why was it evil? Because there was the absence of light. I'm like, then go downtown. Shine. Chase the darkness out. If it's illuminated, you can't call itself darkness. And that's the call that we're starting to face. But it's by the word of God that we are empowered to do that. If you want to be known by Jesus, according to his words, it's not a simple salvation prayer. And the church at large has hurt the sake of the gospel over the last 75 years because we have dealt with salvation as an entry point rather than an entry into a lifestyle that worships God. We have to be people of God, of his word, worshiping his son, full of his spirit, because that was what he intended for us to have. And when we have that, we are unstoppable. We are amazing because we are his church. One thing I love about you, I love about High Point Church, there's a couple things that come to mind. First, when I ask people, what do you like about High Point? I almost 95% of the time get this. We care about God's word. It's just a statement. What a wonderful thing to be able to say about the church. The second thing I love about you, regardless of where I'm at in the city, any ministry or group that I'm helping, I look around and there are high point people there. You're everywhere. And it is so good because many of you are shining that light. You're not afraid to let people know that Christ dwells within, that there's something growing in you that's magnificent and it's all about into his glory. Here's what I'm waiting for, though. When we collectively as a church are there, I honestly believe that we will see a harvest that's unprecedented in Madison. There's one thing I wish Billy Graham would never have said when he was in Milwaukee years ago when he said, Milwaukee and Wisconsin are the deathbed of evangelism. I've heard pastors quote that as an excuse of how hard the gospel is here. Guess what? The gospel is always hard because it's in opposition to flesh. It's in opposition to Satan. That's why Jesus said Satan comes and he plucks it up or the flesh gets in the way and pretty soon it's as if it didn't, didn't exist. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we need to stand on that. But to get there individually, we need to really take care of business when it comes to God's word. So let me encourage you. Examine your habits. 
The most difficult thing I struggle with in my Christian walk is my daily time in the Word. I do it, but I have to choose to do it every day because once my schedule starts, I go. And if I don't schedule it and do it diligently, purposefully, it's so easy to get away from me. I have a wife who the first couple years of marriage would ask me this daily. You been in the Word today? You had prayer time today? I hated that. Finally, a couple years later, I'm like, would you stop it? I'm a pastor. And she says, so? I said, why do you do that? She said, remember when your mother asked if you were eating your vegetables? Was it because she wanted to shove little green things in your mouth to make you uncomfortable? No, she wanted you to grow up healthy, and if you're healthy, I'm safe. I'm your wife. So let me ask, you been in the Word today? <laughs> Have you been in the Word today? Yesterday? Tomorrow? Father, your Word is so much more than a book. You breathe it into pages. We see stories of people who lived it out. Jesus walked this earth. And now here we are with it once again. And Jesus simply says, listen to what it says and do it. It couldn't get simpler, and maybe that's why it's a problem. But it's also a problem because it is in direct opposition to evil and to flesh and everything that is good. You call us to righteousness by immersion in your word, by your spirit guiding us into understanding truth. Teach us fresh to be the type of soil that receives your word. Help us to do self-examination and to make the corrections that we need to correct to be different, to be once again, if we've slagged off, to be people who enjoy the conversation with you through your word. We love you. We honor you. We freely call you Lord. And we are thankful for your word that is a light to our feet and a pathway, or a lamp to our pathway. Thank you for the promises when life is difficult we can hold on to. Thank you for the stories of those who went before us. Help us to be so full of your word that we become that story for somebody else. In Jesus' name, amen.